2: Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown Match Day 29 recap podcast and well El Clasico was the the spectacular ending to the weekend's action on Sunday night. I'm Sam Leveridge and I'm joined by a very 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 happy Rory Barlow. How are you doing?
3: Yeah I've been smiling quite a lot um, over the last two three hours even sort of the people that like friends and family that uh, don't like football were texting me, being like, <laughs> sending me screenshots of the score, at uh, which I was, yeah, just sending them
2: pictures of my face. Um, so, yeah, I- I'm pretty happy. Sam, how are you? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's not every weekend that you get to see Real Madrid get thrashed at the Bernabeu, so it's good for, for the competitive side of Spanish football, not even as a as an Atletico fan being a bit empty <laughs> a bit in Real Madrid. Sweet. But, you know, seeing Real Madrid, if Real Madrid had won that today, the title race is over, so on so on, it's good to see that Barcelona are going to compete and, and do something. Maybe it's too late for the title, but I guess that's the question, isn't it, Roy? I mean, our boss are Barca back? I should Pico um, says
3: so, but... I, I'm reluctant to commit to that because I, I, I'm sure somebody will pull my words up and then uh, make it into a meme very shortly after Barca get beaten by Madrid. In the next classical, but it certainly felt like Barcelona were competing from a level playing field again. This this was a performance which I think Chavi might have said as well, but this is a performance that backed up and confirmed all the work that Chavi has been doing up until now. And I know this isn't the most vintage Real Madrid. I know they were missing Karim Benzema, but even if Benzema is there. I think the difference between the two sides tonight was was so great that it it I don't know if it would have made too much of a difference. And I, yeah, okay, maybe the game goes a bit differently. But even so, Barcelona dominated this game in, from the midfield and and managed to sort of not only play very well but had the emotional maturity to see it out. So I, I think yeah, that Barcelona <laughs> I don't really want to say it, but yeah, I do think they might be back. Sam. Then you might were be almost back.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I want Getting to. I asterisks asterisk there just to give myself a get out jail free card. But um, yeah, you were at the game, obviously, Sam. Um, what was it like being there and uh, seeing the Bernabeu so deftly quiet?
2: It was a strange atmosphere. I'm not going to lie; it was a weird one because I was up near the Barcelona fans, and even before kickoff, they were very very jovial very excited very up for it i mean they were jumping up and down and singing before kickoff the opening stages of the game were very tense and i mean it was a proper classico atmosphere everyone very up for it but then when the goals started going in when barcelona scored things were a bit more subdued from the real madrid fans when barcelona scored the second there was kind of shock among the real madrid fans i mean they hadn't seen this kind of they hadn't seen their team go behind like this in such a long time because I I don't think it's happened any other time this season than you're looking back to before the pandemic that Real Madrid fans at the Bernabeu have seen the team go behind like that. And the Barcelona fans were just loving it. I mean, they were chanting Benítez, Ballon d'Or, chanting Kylian Mbappe's name. I mean, they were loving every single second of it, and, and you can see why. I mean, there was one point where they were chanting, we want five, and maybe that wish wasn't fulfilled, but... Barcelona fans were, were the only ones making any noise and I think the Real Madrid fans, every time they tried to get the atmosphere going again, Barcelona just had the ball for so long, so much possession and started chanting the Oles and the, the Xavi chants and, and it all died down again from the Real Madrid fans. So a weird atmosphere for the Bernabeu but it felt a bit more like the Camp Nou than the Bernabeu tonight. Rory, you, you spoke to Román de Arquer and, and Hassan Karima, resident Kule and Masvidista, So let's hand over to that then, and let's hear a little bit from Haz in particular, who had quite a lot to say and wasn't in the best mood.
0: Here
1: you go.
3: I am absolutely delighted, and I mean that in the most sincere sense of that word, this time to be joined by Roman de Arger and Hassan Karim after we've watched what was an utterly shocking classical. I don't think anybody saw this coming, uh, not quite in the fashion that it happened or the way it happened. Uh, I, I think we can obviously get into tactics and, and what kind of happened in the game, but football is about emotions, and I want to come to you, well, I'll come to you first, Roman. What was it like watching that? How, how are you feeling after such a brilliant performance from Barca?
4: Well, I'm feeling f- incredible. I mean, I don't have words that can really describe it right now. How I'm feeling, because it's just so unexpected, you know? I mean, I was watching the game, expecting, you know, a draw max, you know, maybe a 2-2, something like that. Uh, seeing how uh, Madrid had a lot of, lot of momentum after eliminating PSG in, in the Champions League. And Barca, I mean had an okay game against Galatasaray but honestly at the Bernabeu I didn't think we'd be capable of such a performance it was just uh, outstanding I have to say of course I do think there are um, some things which affected this result in terms of the fact that Benzema wasn't there that Ancelotti did some strange formations but still I wouldn't take away any merit from Barcelona who thoroughly deserved this result maybe even more because I think they generated so much in attack. The they were fantastic and honestly I didn't expect Xavi to be this amazing at his first game at the Bernabéu.
3: It, it was, yeah, uh, beyond all expectations. I think for Barcelona fans. On the flip side, Real Madrid Madridistas, I mean, you may not have, uh, you may even have expected a, a tough game, a, even sort of a narrow defeat. But how do you feel after this? Has you can't, you can't have seen this coming in any sense.
5: No, I'm still a bit shell shocked by it all, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'd you know, I'd admit the last, I'd say the last couple of Classico's, including the Super the Super Cup one as well, where we're getting a bit more competitive, a bit closer. Uh, but I still felt we had just a bit more quality overall to obviously see ourselves through. But I don't even know what that was. <laughs> that was just. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. even. I think being calling it a car wreck is being generous. Um, so we'll call it a a natural disaster is probably the best way to put it. It was it was a complete and utter mess, and I still can't quite fathom what Carlo Ancelotti attempted in there. I don't understand his in-game changes. Yeah, just a complete and utter uh, excuse the word here a show is probably the best way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh,
3: so so we'll sort of try and analyze it from the point of view. Like before the match, obviously, Karim Benzema was ruled out and that was kind of the big question for Carlo Ancelotti what he was going to do they played with rodrigo and vinicius up, up front and nominally luka modric also in kind of a, a false nine sort of forward midfielder role
0: mm.
3: real madrid to be fair they weren't sort of they were went a goal behind obviously but they had the chance with vinicius where he goes through one on one with ter Steg and he goes down and uh, nothing given up until that point what were you kind of thinking about first of all angelotti's choice of what he was kind of deciding to do and real Madrid's performance before well it kind of got out of hand
5: i'd say the opening 10 minutes were fairly back and forth quite balanced in a way um you know it's just like both were just sort of goading at each other nothing clear-cut happening um and then you know uh, lo and behold vinicius gets that chance again you just mentioned um and I still don't understand why he decided to dive at that point. I really don't, get. and it was a dive. There's no sugarcoating it. It was clear and cut, a dive. Um, because if you watch, you watch it back, he had time, enough time at least, anyway, before he was closed down, you know, to whether to try and dink the keeper or do something of that ilk. And it could have made it 1-1 by that point as well. Um, but his decision there was just uh, pathetic, embarrassing, disgraceful. Um, you know, all those all those negative words fit that per- perfectly they were absolutely it was an absolutely awful decision um and i don't understand why he got so riled up afterwards i thought that was p- particularly petulant of him quite childish um but it's something that's kind of emerged in him through the season anyway but we've just not seen it as prevalently but that was probably the most high profile one and i'd say his lowest point of the entire season so far
3: it's interesting you sort of mentioned that petulance i think one of the things that chabi was keen to emphasized before the match was the emotional maturity of going to the Bernabeu and the first half I think they managed it fairly well they managed to gain control in midfield which I think if you look at Barcelona's success down the years it's always kind of come through that Roman were there any kind of surprises in this Barcelona team for you Eric Garcia started and how did you kind of see the first half going from from your point of view from a Barcelona perspective
4: Well, I mean, I have to agree with Haas. I think the first 10 minutes were, you know, both teams were going forward. It was quite an exciting game just at the start. The clearest chance was maybe for Obama Yang, who I thought had to put that in, but unfortunately didn't get good contact on that shot. But from there on, Barca just uh, kept getting more control, more calm, more pause. And it's true that um, with Barca this season, we haven't been seeing, I think, that much control in many games because uh, with Xavi, it's more common that you see You know, players looking for long balls uh, behind defenders' backs. Aubameyang looking for pace, Dembele, etc. So, in that sense, um, I guess that against Madrid, the game plan was a bit different, more control, moving around. And it's true that also Madrid were leaving lots of spaces in the middle with that really strange formation Ancelotti had uh, set uh, set up for this match. So there, Frankie the young Pedri, etc. They're finding answers of space to move around the middle to move the ball. So they're very, really comfortable. But overall, I mean, I was very impressed with the team and I can't complain at all.
3: Yeah, I think for me, the thing that surprised me most is that Real Madrid played extra midfielders. And yeah, Barcelona, they they had them on the carousel. They were going around and they were constantly on the turn because Barcelona players were in behind them and finding space, as you say. And I think if you're going to play an extra midfielder, you're going to play... Um, sort of four midfielders and two strikers and you want more control and you also want to be sort of shutting down the, the space. Has obviously Carlo tried to change things at halftime, being 2-0 down, Camavinga came on for Toni Kroos, Alaba went to left back. What did you kind of think of the second half approach from Madrid uh, obviously it didn't work out in the first kind of 10-15 minutes?
5: Too little too late at that point. I mean, those were the inclusions that should have been in there from the get-go. Um, I mean, the starting formation he picked was like some sort of weird four-two-four almost, um, with at times Kruse and Modric being the furthest two forward, which I just didn't understand whatsoever. Um, so when he did eventually bring on Camavinga, which you know I thought was a good choice, I thought he put in a decent air shift given the the situation. Um, that that made sense, but you wouldn't actually think, considering the form that Dembele has been in, to play him up against Nacho was. It's, it's a gimme for Barcelona, pretty much. He, he's going to rip him time and time again. So, considering that Alaba has naturally been a left-back at you know, large portions of his career, I was baffled at the fact that he wasn't put out in that position considering that Nacho you know, is hasn't shown any good form in that position at all when he has played there this season. Um, and, you know, rightfully so, got ripped apart time and time again.
3: Yeah, and uh, Barcelona, obviously... It went 4 0 up, Torres scored, and as of the Dabaming got a second. Could have been more, but they had sort of further chances to finish it. I'm interested to know what you kind of thought of the last sort of yeah, well, of the second half as a whole, but in, in general, that sort of last half hour from Barcelona where they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. I know Dembele lost quite a few balls in um yeah, compromising situations. Your take on the second half, though, man?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I I guess it's complicated, you know, when you're 4-0 up after, what, it was 50-something minutes, I think, and there's so much uh, match ahead of you. But, you know, you have it under control. Madrid, honestly, we're still not creating much danger. So, I mean, it was just a matter of having control and maybe finding some good opportunities, which we did have. I mean, as you mentioned, Dembélé, I think, uh, if he hadn't been a bit... uh, I mean, he gave two assists, but he was still... Maybe not, didn't have his best performance. I'd say decision making is never his his hardest uh, or his best, we could say, attributes. But well, bueno, uh, these things happen, I guess. I mean, I think this really helps confirm uh, what Xavi has been doing because I know that maybe here in, in Catalonia or Barça fans around the world, etc., are. We're beginning to be convinced, you know, by what Xavi was doing, but I know that a lot of people outside of maybe the Barca bubble, we could say they were still doubting whether this Xavi effect, this uh, this uh, new ideas he's brought in, etc., were actually going to work. And I think this completely confirms all the doubts that anybody could have, you know, that this is actually something that's going in the right path, that, that this team is improving, that this team is now playing really good football. Uh, Xavi got some few, few signings, I think, in the winter transfer market, which really helped to... To be able to implement what he had in mind, you know, players like Ferran Torres or Aubameyang, I think are crucial uh, to what Barca has, has done to uh, what they've done the other day against Real Madrid and has, is going to be doing and has been doing, you know. So, I mean, uh, overall, I think they can really make a lot of this momentum. I think the team is going to uh, make the most of this, you know, they're going to keep up with the level. And I don't think um, we're going to see such a vulnerable Barca in future games against big teams. I think with Xavi, this is one of the things that's changed the most, that now Barca can compete, and even compete better, I'd say, against the stronger sides, whereas before with maybe Kuman, we were maybe winning uh, the smaller games and getting enough points there, but against the big teams, we were really underperforming and being horrible, whereas this has completely changed. This dynamic is really different with Xavi. Now we're in the, against the big teams. We are uh, showing that we are Barcelona, you know, once again, and I hope, Uh, That This can allow us maybe not fight for La Liga, but push right until the very end and at least try and get that second spot uh, if possible.
3: Yes, very, very shortly after the game finished, Gerard Piquet tweeted, we are back, full stop, (laughs) which is um, doing some numbers on Twitter, it's fair to say. Has For Real Madrid, how does this kind of fit into the narrative of their season? Because you're nine points clear at the top of the table, probably still going to win La Liga you are in the champions league quarterfinals against chelsea what does this mean for for madrid perhaps for Ancelotti? but yeah how do you kind of fit this into to your season so far
2: um
5: it's, it's a weird one because i mean even to start of the campaign i said that this season was always a bit of a kind of a band-aid fill the season it wasn't one that it was sort of had an, a sort of direction to really what the end goal of whatever the current project is i think it was just something to the gap while they found somebody in the dugout that was a bit more permanent, shall we say? Because I don't think Carlo Ancelotti should stay on beyond this this season, even with the league title in the bag. Um, I just don't think it, it's it's a viable project. So I think it just kind of puts a, a large stain on that La Liga triumph. You know, you know, eventual, or I'd, I'd even say possible at this point, because I don't know. After that result, you kind of just feel a bit doubtful. Interesting.
3: I'm sure it will be. Uh, it will look a little better in, in a few days' time. <laughs> we, we have come to you at the sort of lowest point. Um, I'm happy to sort of uh, wrap it up there. Is there any kind of last thoughts that you guys wanted to, to drop in?
5: Got a lot of words, but none of them are repeatable. <laughs> <laughs> well.
4: No, I mean, on my behalf, uh, there's not much to say, you know. I mean, whoever hasn't watched the game, if they haven't had a chance, I think... Uh, if they're a Barca fan, of course, I think it's worth uh, going back and checking it out uh, because uh, it's probably, well, it's probably, it's undoubtedly the best performance we've had uh, this season against Barca. And, I was, as, and as I was reading on Twitter now, um, Barca-related uh, journalists were saying that this season Barca has played extremely bad, bad, very bad, good, okay, and like today or like the other day against Real Madrid. So I mean, it comes to prove how this Barca has really evolved, you know, in such a short period of time, and hopefully. This is going to keep going and, and we'll see we'll see better things to come and but let's not forget this is still you know very long lots of things can happen and we still have to work hard to to stay where we are
3: and that is the is the sort of um, pessimism of somebody who's hurt, been hurt by football before because i know exactly <laughs> the feeling on that note um, I will throw it back to the pod, but thank you very much, both Haz for, for getting over your, your wallowing for a few minutes, and uh, Roman for glorying for in, in your delight with us.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: Well, there we have it. Haz, not the happiest of, of Real Madrid fans, or, or football fans maybe. I'm sure there are some more angry Real Madrid fans. But maybe this weekend was the weekend to slip up as Sevilla took another draw, Rory, and we're getting kind of used to this in the last few weeks, talking about Sevilla drawing a game which could have gone a different way. I mean, what did you make of their game against Real Sotia? A nil-nil draw, but maybe Sevilla were lucky for this one to be a draw.
3: Yeah, and you can sort of, I think Sevilla fans are in a bit of a weird situation because they are obviously very grateful for all that Julen Lopetegui has done. I think to a point they've overachieved this season, but also having got to the situation they were in in January, February, it has been a disappointing couple of months in the league. And this was another of those games where you look at it and if they were going to mount a tactical challenge, then they had to be winning this game. And to be honest, Sevilla, I mean, Julian Lopetegui said it in his post-match presser that they had sort of 20 minutes where they hemmed Real Sociedad in, but they didn't really create that much danger. And in contrast, when David Silva came on, he completely changed the game for Real Sociedad. They they hit the bar um, through through I think it was Silva himself, and hit the post through Portu, who also blocked an Alexander Surlot shot. Um, he is currently the sort of the anti-goal for Real Sociedad. He manages to avoid them scoring at all costs, but. Yeah, Real Sociedad I think can be pretty pleased with this performance. They were they were kind of unlucky, maybe not to get a bit more and yes, yeah, Sevilla I think they they have a decent squad and Monchi has built a good collection of players, but they they always just seem to be missing that bit of uh, desequilibrio that somebody to unbalance the game and to really put it in their favor and as much as I kind of rate Lucas Ocampos, he hasn't been that player for them that he was last season,
2: I think. And let's just move on as well to another team who, not long ago, we were talking about top four contenders, Real Betis, who had their own 0-0 draw this weekend against Celta Vigo on Sunday afternoon. and That means they're now four points behind Atletico Madrid and Barcelona in the the race for fourth. Do you think it's beyond them now? I think it might be. You know, I I, I want to believe in
3: Betis and I have a, a very soft spot for Manuel Pellegrini, but I think today we almost saw sort of an acceptance from Betis themselves that this is beyond them and that Europa League for them is the target. They've obviously got the cup final to come, which is the sort of big match on the horizon for them. But they were clearly very hurt. They went out in the in the last, literally last kick, last um, sort of header of the game against Antwerp Frankfurt. And they, they were clearly still kind of smarting from that in a sense, because I think, they were missing Navio Fekir, but it started with Paulo Koku, and Guido Rodriguez and William Carvalho playing a, a little bit further forward. And it sort of encapsulated Betis' approach that they weren't going to lose this game as opposed to really going for it. And as the sort of last 20 minutes came into play, Celta were the ones that were kind of pushing more. And I think that in itself, while I understand Pellegrini's sort of point of view, it does seem like. They themselves have accepted that top four might just be a little bit far for them.
2: Let's take a quick break, then, and after that, we'll be back to talk Atletico Madrid as they pushed further into the top four this weekend with a win over Rayo Vallecano, and we'll also discuss the relegation battle and so on. So, stay tuned. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown and our matchday 29 recap. Let's dive straight in now as we hear from Rory, who was talking to Jeremy Barron of Inter the Calderon about Atletico Madrid and their 1-0 win over Vallecano on Saturday
4: night. Que cierra al costado Bayo. Rechace para la frontal del área para el Atlético de Madrid. El cuero para Joffel y Coque. Coque, Coque. Gol, 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 gol.
0: Qué bien Joffel. Gol, 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 Golazo, ¿eh? Qué bien Coque. Sí, 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 los dos. Gol, gol, gol.
4: Gol de marca el Atlético de Madrid. Buena la combinación, dentro del área,
3: I am joined by Jeremy Baron of Into the Calderón. He is obviously one of our regular Atleti contributors, and we are more than happy to have him back on. How are you doing,
1: Jeremy? Doing well. Really delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on.
3: Yeah, and um, we we have some good stuff to talk about with Atleti because they've been doing pretty well of late. None uh, or in no sort of greater terms than in the Champions League, when they obviously defeated Manchester United 1-0. And I've got to say what I thought was a fairly comfortable performance, to be honest, but take me through, first of all, kind of your feelings on the match, um, on kind of like getting through and sort of how they actually played.
1: Yeah, getting through is a a landmark achievement for this season, considering where Atletico were, Last month, the month before, the months before that, so many poor performances this season uh, and a lot of instability on and off the pitch, which which has been rare in the Cholo Simeone decade. So to overcome Man United, now granted United have a ton of problems of their own institutionally, but overcoming United and doing it on the road at Old Trafford, it's a big deal. Uh, We said this on my podcast earlier this week is that even though United have had somewhat of a come down in recent years after Sir Alex Ferguson's retirement, it's still a big deal to beat them. They're still a, a huge global brand. That's a big name, a lot of muscle, a lot of financial might and, and sway. So going to United and beating them and doing it, I think, justifiably. And in the second half, I'd let you weren't really too troubled. Uh, once they got the the opening goal through Lodi at the end of the first half. Uh, I wouldn't say smooth sailing, because the 1-0s usually aren't so smooth sailing, uh, especially when you're playing in transition and playing on a counter but as far as the, the Uno Cerismo is concerned, that one wasn't so bad as some of the others we've seen over the years.
3: Definitely, and they got a 1-0 win this weekend as well over Rayo Vallecano, making the short trip across to Vallecas. Um, just on that point, I did see, I think, that Manchester United has spent $1.4 billion or something uh, in transfers over the last decade, which is just mm. nuts. Um, but yes, uh, Rayo Vallecano, coke obviously got the winner, but this was, again, kind of more of the same from Cholo and Atleti, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, this one was really stressful, because uh, Ryo really <laughs> pressed the final 15, 20 minutes, and Atletico ended the game with 10 men. So, again, another instance where getting the go-ahead goal, getting the first goal matters so much to Simeone and Atletico because there is a certain way he can manage the game and see out the game with a one goal lead, uh, as opposed to when he has to chase the game as Atletico did so many times this season and part of the reason why Simeone did so much chopping and changing and there was so much hand-wringing about his philosophy and the team's identity is because they wouldn't start games on time. They wouldn't start games well and recently we've seen a, a really concerted effort from Atletico to get ahead In those first 10-15 minutes, either side of halftime, uh, Joao Felix has had a bunch of early opening goals lately, and Koke got one in the second half at Vallecas on Saturday with a Joao Felix assist. He's been playing so well lately and really helping to drive Atletico to forward. And it's great to see from the Atletico POV a team-wide commitment and and just a a reassessment and an, an understanding Uh, of what Cholo wants and how Atletico have won games over these last 10 years. And just um, recommitting, I suppose, to those principles and that intensity and that team spirit. Sometimes that is really all that it takes to set the other pieces in motion so everything else falls into place.
3: Yeah, it does really seem like everyone's pulling in the same direction. I I think I've been very impressed with Reynilu Mandava. He's been excellent of late. Jao Felix, as you say, really sort of starting to perform week in, week out. What's kind of been the difference for this Atleti side, which has now just kind of sealed its fifth victory in a row?
1: They're working harder. There's a lot more running. Uh, The midfield and attacking lines are much more compact. Atletico are are defending a bit more like like they used to defend. And it's really interesting how it was a loss, the Levante loss. They kind of turned everything around for this team, whereas we talked earlier in the season, about how any certain win would prove to be a turning point, whether it was the victory at San Siro, a victory at home over Barcelona, the 3-0 win over Venice back on Halloween. None of those turned out to be, well, turning points. It was the loss to Levante that made everyone realize, okay, we need to fix this before it gets really, really bad and spirals completely out of control. And Joao is an example, because I'm not sure what's really happened, but it seems that for the first time, Joao and Simeone are on the same wavelength and it's been two and a half almost three full seasons where there have been inconsistent patches there's been periods where the coach hasn't quite trusted the player and and the player has said you need to trust me more and simeone's like why should i trust you what, what have you shown me but it seems like they're finally understanding one another and joao is working really hard for the team and he's being rewarded for it hard work and running and unselfishness they all pay off i think antoine Quite an influence on joel those two are getting along really well on and off the pitch and i think he's been a mentor for him and helping him to understand how cholo thinks why he thinks this way and what the best way is to succeed at atletico which is a notoriously difficult side to adapt to
2: thank you there jeremy and thanks rory as well so let's move on a little bit from there then i mean raya are now part of that relegation battle i think their first half of the season means they will be okay. But there were some big results down at the bottom this weekend. We'll have a quick run through of all of those. Hetafe not quite safe yet went to Athletic Club and got a one-all draw on Friday night, feeling a little bit hard overdone by with the offside call by VAR. Then Saturday, Alaves two Granada three. Rory, tell us a little bit about this game because it was. Arguably, the game of the weekend, maybe even better than the Classico if you're kind of the hipster, freaky La Liga fan who <laughs> wants to watch Alaves Granada. Um,
3: fortunately, I am. Although I'm not, I'm not uh, resting any anything away from El Clásico this weekend. Um, but, but yeah, this was a fantastic game. Um, the first half, even the Hossolu missed a penalty, which is a turn up for the books. Credit to Luis Maximiano. But there were chances for both teams in the first half, and then in the second half, they started converting them and granada went ahead with fantastic set piece routine and sergio escudero right into the top corner alavez come back and within seven minutes have gone to one up and and granada keep going to be fair to them they they were very i was impressed with how incisive they were because they cut alavez open quite a few times and luis suarez managed to get him behind he first of all he's, he puts one in the top bag and then gets rolled out for offside. Then he gets one-on-one again, puts it in the side netting, really guilt-edged chance, and you think that maybe that's one of those ones that you'll remember at the end of the season. But finally, Darwin Machis plays it right into his path. He can't miss and and gets a sort of late winner for Granada and a really massive result. You could see the kind of emotion, not just from the sort of sidelines, but also from the team. They, They really looked as if they were pulling him in one direction in this match, and it's it's hard to see this as not a consequence of Robert Moreno leaving. Seems like the club has had a breath of fresh air. I mean, we had Heath on and he was very strong about kind of Robert Moreno, but but yeah, credit to Granada who, to be to put it very bluntly, I mean they weren't solid defensively, but they were good and they were better than Alaves in this game. And it was another one of those games where you sort of think that. There's stuff there from Alaves, but they probably just don't have enough to stay up.
2: Yeah, their defence was was pretty shoddy as well. So moving on a little bit more, then we'll take a look at Elche, who lost 1-0 to Valencia. I think Elche another one of those teams who have probably done just about enough to stay out of the relegation battle now. Six points clear. But for Elche, I mean, they have lost three of their last four. So maybe there is still a little bit of fighting that they need to do. The Nosasuna beat Levante 3-1 and Levante's kind of very faint hopes of survival seemed to vanish. And Sunday was the big day in terms of the, the movement at the bottom. We had Espanyol, Mallorca, where de Thomas ending his goal drought of four games without a goal, which meant that Mallorca fell to a seventh successive defeat in a row. And then just after that, things got even worse because it was Ruben sobrino who scored an in injury time for Cadiz to get them the win. And those two results mean that there's a swap at the bottom. And so it's Mallorca who fall into the bottom three and Cadiz who climb out. Rory, I mean, a lot of talk about the managerial change at Cadiz. I mean, it wasn't a popular one when Sergio Gonzalez was brought in, but he has made an impact. And Mallorca sticking with Luis Garcia Plaza. Do you see that changing in the next few weeks? I mean, it's possible that Luis
3: Garcia loses his job. I I, I would be interested to see if he does, because I, I'm not necessarily sure that it's a it's a managerial problem. I do think that they have issues there, but I personally would probably stick with him, because although Mallorca are desperately frustrating in the fact that they seem to give away points more than they sort of lose games, they don't get dominated or outplayed all that often, and that was the case again today, but they just, they, when it sort of really comes to the cutting edge and the moment of truth, they, they aren't there. If he can inspire that, then then maybe their fortunes will ch- their fortunes will change. For Cardiff, hats off to Sergio Gonzalez because I, I was looking at this is the first time that they've come out of the relegation zone since November, and they do have an incredibly difficult fixture list. Um, I should say that. So I think the results and the impact of him have been slightly skewed to an extent. Because if you look at who they've got coming up, it's Valencia, Real Betis, Barcelona, Athletic Club, Sevilla, and then Elche, Real Sociedad, Real Madrid, and Aloez to finish. So they've got two or three games that you look at that you think are maybe winnable or you might get points at, but they do have a hard run-in. But this match against Villarreal was proof that they can make it out and they can win some of those games. And to be honest, they were the better side today and they were more ambitious than Villarreal. And to to do that with a squad that we've been sort of very blunt about that it doesn't have the resources that others do in terms of attacking talent
2: yeah fair play, yeah and obviously last week as well they gave Atletia a run for their money in the friday night fixture so maybe valencia betis barcelona they might make them uh, more difficult ties than we're expecting them to be so let's wrap it up there and let's move on to our mvp section of the podcast Rui I know that you're kind of in love with one person in particular as we're recording this so do you want to get us started?
3: Yeah I'll start with um, Eric Garcia who I, I don't think he's the second coming like he's not this incredible defender and it's not like I am seeing a different thing to everyone else but he has come in for a hell of a lot of stick in the last sort of year or so lots of people making fun of him and making memes out of him essentially but he was absolutely sensational today. And uh, I, I mentioned it earlier in the chat with Haz and Roman, there's a challenge sort of in the 70th minute where Eric Garcia does not have a turn of pace, but he he somehow locates one in this match to sort of shut out Mariano and keep the clean sheet. Time and again, Real Madrid, whenever they did try and press, were cut open by Eric Garcia and Pique. There was two balls that, went right through the sort of... I mean, they kind of looked like clearances, but they went straight into the path of, I think it was Memphis Depay, and went for the entire Real Madrid's team. And, yeah, I thought he was just a big... I think mean, it's easy to look at 4-0 and, and all the chances they created and think, yeah, okay, Barcelona, they did dominate the midfield, they were good going forward, but a large part of that was the confidence that they had playing out from the back. And Araujo, Piqué, Alba and Eric Garcia were all a massive part of that, and... Even though we looked at, or certainly I looked at this and thought Eric Garcia is probably the weakest link there. He was, he was definitely among
2: Barcelona's best players. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to go for the obvious pick. Then I was expecting you to go for it, but you know, Eric Garcia love to over. Pierre Emerick um, two goals, one assist at the I mean, We know he loves playing against Real Madrid, and he seemed to have a bit of a point to prove. And and you could see that when he kind of slid into that challenge early on with Tony Cruz that has got some Madridistas a bit riled up, especially now Chiringuito, they were ranting and raving. <laughs> but I think this is kind of the performance that Barcelona would have been dreaming of when they signed him in the summer, uh, in the summer, in January even. And he was just so clinical. I think he had six shots, five of them were on target, two ended up going into the back of the net. And it was just his pace and his movement was just too much for the Barcelona, def- the Real Madrid defenders to handle. I mean, they were just couldn't keep track of him, they couldn't follow his run, they couldn't keep up even when they could. And I mean, Edo Militao is a great defender, and this season he's been superb almost week in, week out, but Aubameyang made him look like the defender that people paint Eric Garcia out to be at times, and he made Militao look like a young, inexperienced guy who didn't know what he was doing, and and Aubameyang was exactly that. And I saw a great tweet from Ewan McTier, who used to host the La Liga Lowdown podcast, and he was saying, it's interesting to think what would have happened if Sergio Aguero hadn't have had his his issues with his heart. And if he'd carried on, would Aubameyang be at Barcelona? How different would Barcelona be now? And I think Barcelona are much better off with Aubameyang in attack than they would have been with Aguero for that pace, that movement, which is so well suited to the to the Xavi style. So that's why he's my, my pick. What about you then, Maria? Who's your, your second pick?
3: Second choice I'm going to go for Luis Mia who was excellent in that Granada win so crucial for Granada and I think Luis Mia was a big part of it. Darwin Machis plays that sort of final ball and it, it's a it's a really tasty ball into the path of Luis Suarez but it's Luis Mia who sort of splits open the defense and sends Machis on the run. He was a large part of the fact that Granada were able to sort of get back into the game repeatedly after sort of they had setbacks and, and yeah Luis Mia he he's had sort of injury issues at Granada. He's ne- not quite kicked on to the extent that maybe some of us thought he might be able to. But today we kind of saw the quality that he has and he's definitely a sort of La Liga standard central midfielder and for a league that kind of is almost based on central midfielders to an extent um, that's good praise.
2: Great choice sure there, yeah. And I'm going to go with my second pick for Ante Budemir, who is a striker who we're kind of expecting a bit more of, at least I was, at the start of the season at Osasuna. I think he proved himself very much at Mallorca and then at his first season at Osasuna, we we're hoping for a bit more and maybe thought he'd settle in a bit better this season. He hasn't quite hit the same heights as he did with Mallorca in a few years ago, but He's up to three league goals in in 19 games after this weekend. He got a goal and an assist, but he was just such a thorn in the side of Levante. I mean, he's one of those strikers who's so physical and, and so willing to kind of battle that for defences like Levante, who are a bit all over the place, they just can't quite handle him. And I think Ante Budemir did that very well. I mean, he had some great link-up play with Ruben Garcia as well, in attack as well, and it was interesting to see how how alasati has kind of changed the shape a little bit to kind of have this one number nine target man kind of Budimir role alternating with kika garcia because at the start of the season they were playing with two up front and now i think Budimir has shown that he can play it up front on his own and do a good job of it and i think this performance against levante was the perfect example of of why so that's our four picks for mvp so make sure you check out our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown on Monday and you can have your say, vote, and let us know if you think we've missed somebody out. I know that Ruri was a little bit against, including Azman Dembele for, for his personal <laughs> grievances. But two Barcelona players in there to choose from. Ruri. to wrap us up, what was your moment of the week? My moment
3: of the week was Ferran Torres' goal. Um, there are two types of football champagne. One of them is exercised by Valencia and Borderlass, shared to Paco here. And the other one was exercised by Barcelona this evening. The perfect example being uh, Fred Antonio's goal. It was just, it was a work of art. It was was like one, two, touch, play. You can't get better than that. It was um, a a moment of, of pure delight for me, just in terms of the classical, but just in terms of the actual football on show. I think for neutral fans, it's, uh, yeah, you've got to, got to
2: admire that. Fantastic. Yeah, a historic moment to see such a big Barcelona win. Thank you for joining us, Rory. A pleasure as always, Sam, particularly tonight. Particularly tonight, yeah. So stay tuned. We have got the international break coming up, Spain in action against Albania and Iceland in Barcelona and A Coruña. But we will be busy as ever on our social media channel at La Liga Lowdown and also on our website where we've got some interesting pieces coming up, including a stadium guide to the Wanda Metropolitano for if you're ever in Madrid. So stay tuned and keep an eye out for the latest from La Liga Dota.
1: Thanks for listening. Tocaron todos los de arriba y Ferran mató, machacó, finalizó, puso el 0-3.